Hi, and welcome to Harvest Bible Chapel, Kuala Lumpur Online. We hope that the following message will be a blessing to you as you seek to walk with the Lord in spirit and in truth. For more information about our church, please visit www.harvestkl.org or click the link in the description below. this new year. I am fired up for this new season. And I got to be honest with you, I am fired up for that bumper. Anybody else? Like some of y'all are like, what in the world are they doing? I asked myself the same question. That thing is fresh and it's retro at the same time. Do you agree? It's fresh and retro at the same time. It kind of it takes me back and pushes me forward at the exact same time. I hope it does the same for you. That's the goal. You see, we have a little saying around here at Mission Church. We are continually and always trying to find new ways to be old-fashioned. We're trying to find new ways to be old-fashioned. Why? Because God's word is timeless. God's word is true. It's been said that those who love God's word ought to hold God's word in one hand and a newspaper in the other. Why? Because God's word God's principles are timeless and true, and they apply to every circumstance that we face in every day, in every age, in every moment of this life. And here's the deal here at Mission Church. We're not trying to reinvent the wheel. And while we are striving for excellence in all that we do, we are not seeking to be slick or new. This time of the year, each and every year, we basically take a look back. We go back to thrust ourselves forward. That's the goal of the bumper. May it take you back with an attempt to strive to push you, to catapult you, to thrust you full throttle into the future. Here it is. We go back and look at that which grounds us, that which unites us. What is our purpose? What is our mission as a church? And then what are those things that we are continually pursuing day in, day out, Sunday after Sunday, month after month, and by God's grace, year after year, what are the things that we're pursuing that unite us in the ministry of the Lord? And so come on, friends, the mission, the mission, the mission of the church. We've got to know the mission of the church, right? It's in our name. We are Mission Church. Y'all know the mission, right? Matthew chapter 28. It's probably the most famous verse as it pertains to the mission that Jesus Christ has given you, has given me. This is our purpose. Matthew 28, and Jesus came and said to them with all authority, all authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me. So now what? Go ye therefore into all of the world. What are you going to do as you go? Make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
Teach them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. What's the mission of Jesus? Say making disciples. What's the mission of Jesus? Making disciples. Here at Mission Church, we say it this way. Maybe you've heard it. I don't know. Maybe you've even seen it when you walked in the doors. The mission, as we define it here at Mission Church, is this. We are seeking to make disciples. A disciple is somebody who follows after a teacher. We're disciples of Jesus. He's our teacher. He's our instructor. He is our savior. We're seeking to make disciples who live loved and who live sent to the glory of God. We're making disciples who live loved and live sent to the glory of God. At our, as our, at our Lancaster campus, when you walk in the worship center, the first thing you see is that you live loved. Myerstown, it should be on the front wall. You live loved. Lancaster campus, when you leave the room, you reminded what? That you are going sent with the authority and the power of Jesus Christ. And when you stand up and turn around as you go out the door, you're reminded that it's all to the glory of God. We're here to live loved and sent to the glory of God. Disciples of Jesus, they know that they're loved. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. Jesus also said this, as the father loved me, so has the Father loved me, so have I, so have I loved you. So now what? Abide in my love. That word abide means that you're going to live in the love of Jesus. You're going to live loved, lived loved, lived loved. Always reminded of this. Jesus loves me. Disciples of Jesus, we know that we're loved. Disciples of Jesus, because of that love, we also are reminded that we are sent do you know on the night of Jesus' resurrection, the very day that he rose from the dead, that night he appeared to his disciples. And in John chapter 20, verse 21, he says this, peace be with you. As the Father sent me, even so I am sending you. Check that out. The very first thing that Jesus says to his disciples, the very thing that's on his mind after raising from the dead is this. I have died, been buried, rose again for your salvation. And now, as I leave this earth, I'm sending you. From the very first statement he makes to his disciples, it is the great commission. Friends, here is where we find our significance. Here is where we find our purpose. What is it? Come on, church. It's to make disciples. What kind of disciples are we striving to see made? The kind of disciples that long to see more disciples. Not just disciples that get by. Not just disciples who check the box. Not just disciples who go to church. Not just disciples who... Go ye therefore into all the world and make disciples. He said to the disciples, make disciples. So guess what one of the things a disciple must do? A disciple makes more disciples. What kind of disciples? The kind that live loved and the kind that live sent. The kind that live loved and the kind that live sent. And so this time of the year, it's time for our tune-up. The question is this, how are you doing at this? 
How am I doing at this? How are we as a church doing at this? How are we doing at living loved? We can evaluate somewhat how we're doing. It's a good little measurement of how we're doing as it pertains to living loved. We can look at our loved pursuits. When you walk into church, whatever campus you walk into, you see these six pursuits hanging. Oftentimes, you probably walk right by them, but what are they there for? This is what disciples of Jesus are about. Fervent prayer. How do we grow in love? How do we know if we're living love? How do we know if we're really abiding in the love of Jesus? We love him, why? We love him, why? First John 4, we love him, why? Because he first loved us. How, do we, how did God demonstrate his love toward us? By sending Jesus, but then in sending Jesus, he's welcomed you into a relationship with him. A relationship is one that has communication. And see, if you wanna know if you're living loved or not, ask yourself, when's the last time I prayed? to God. When's the last time I fervently talked to God? God demonstrated his love towards you by sending Jesus and then welcoming you into a relationship with him. If you say you love somebody and not speak with them, that love is waning for sure. Fervent prayer. A second pursuit as it pertains to being loved is what? Biblical preaching. God not only desires for you to talk with him, but he has spoken to you. God has spoken to you in his word. And indeed, one of the ways that we go about this corporately is the preaching of God's word. But what about you just getting into God's word yourself? Living loved is coming to the feet of Jesus and longing to hear from him. He will speak to you in his word. It's, it's a new year. It's a new season. Come on. Make this commitment that I'm going to talk with God. I'm going to listen to God. I'm going to get in his word regularly. Why? Because that's where the fire is stoked. And one of the ways that we express our love to God is through passionate worship, raising our voices to God, singing corporately and individually. And then the scriptures also say this, that we would obey him. We would lay our lives down as a reasonable act of worship. Are you living loved? Before we talk about being sent, the foundation of it all is this. Are you loved? Are you loved? Do you know that you're loved? I want you to catch this today. Loved people love people. People who are loved love. People who live loved express love. People who experience their security in the Lord, when you find your identity in Jesus, you're not trying to please everybody else. And when you're not trying to please everybody else, then you come from a secure place where you can just pour out love with no expectation in return. To live loved, what is the immediate, what is the natural overflow of experiencing the love of God on a regular basis? You're automatically going to allow that love to overflow in a sent way. What does it mean to live sent but to serve Jesus, to serve the one who loves you, to express his love? The scent pursuits, how are we doing at these? Serving Jesus, living scent, growing. We grow, we grow, we grow. What to be sent means to grow. 
It means that we would increase in our knowledge of the Lord. It means that our character indeed would be strengthened day by day and that our skills also would be sharpened as we desire and long to serve Jesus. We grow in him through purposeful discipleship. You want to live sent? Come on, grow in your knowledge. Be strengthened in your character. Be sharpened in your skills. Is there a way that the Lord desires for you to grow in this way? Because as you grow with him, then you can go with him and courageously evangelize. When you grow with him, then you can go with him and courageously share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And here's the deal. This is the one. This is, what we're, this is where we're parking for this January. How are we doing at sharing the message of love, sharing the forgiving gospel of Jesus Christ, sharing the convicting, offensive gospel of Jesus When we grow in him, we will go with him and courageously share. Why? So that lives will be saved, churches will be planted, regions will be reached, and we'll be able to move forward collectively together in fulfilling the Great Commission locally, regionally, globally, around the world. How does the Lord want to use you? You see, if... It's being loved that we find our security. It's in being sent that we find our significance and our purpose in this life. If there's one question people are asking in this world today is why am I here? What in the world is going on? What is the purpose of all of this? Why does Mission Church exist? To help people find their purpose in the mission of God. To help them find their purpose in the mission of God. Do you know your purpose? Do you know your place in the mission of God? When you've experienced the love of God, when you understand that he loves you and he died for you, and then in all of this, he sent you with this message to transform other people's lives. Your purpose and your significance is secure. This is the premise of our series, You've Been Sent. This is the premise of the next six weeks, I've Been Sent. This is the goal of the church that we would unify together in being sent. We've been sent. Every person who's experienced the love of God has been sent to live and share the gospel with our world. And so let us zero in. The goal is simply this, to live fully sent. To live fully sent. Man, come on, look at that screen. It takes me back and it thrusts me forward. It takes me back and it thrusts me forward. It takes me back. Why? Because as a kid, man, I love dirt bikes. Anybody else love dirt bikes? Anyone? Anyone? Come on. Who doesn't love a dirt bike? It takes me back to my two favorite Christmases as a kid. My first favorite Christmas was the, the Christmas that my dad gave me a dirt bike, right? Used dirt bike, labored over that thing, stripped it down to the frame, repainted it, sanded it. I walked out. He gave me a card with a picture inside and said, go, go on, this is, this is what you got. Walked outside and there's a dirt bike sitting in the driveway with three inches of ice, which I couldn't ride on that day. I was like, no! Second favorite, second favorite Christmas gift I'd ever received was an NES. Come on, come on, y'all. NES, you know what that stands for? A Nintendo Entertainment System. A Nintendo Entertainment System. You guys know what that is? That's an antique, man. That is a relic right there. You can get something for this on eBay, I'm told. Do you know what eBay is? Nope, me neither. 
Nintendo, based on my first gift, you know what my favorite game was? Of course, it was Excite Bike. Excite Bike was like, basically it was a bunch of motorcycles lined up and, and whenever the, the thing went, burn, 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 right, right, something like that, something like that. What, what do you do? Well, here's what you gotta know about these old controllers. They had two buttons, right? Like three buttons, this thing over here and then these two over here. And when the light turned green, you had one button to push and you push the button and it was either pushed or it wasn't pushed. You know what I mean? You all got these like, like haptic, like you can push them a little bit harder and they go faster. That is not the way it's done, friends. You got one button. It's either full throttle, no throttle. Full throttle, no throttle. Full throttle, no throttle. You want to win at the game of Excite Bike back in 1990, whatever, you got to hit the throttle and be willing to go, as the kids say in these days, full send out the gate. That's the goal of the series. Full throttle, uninhibited. Don't be afraid as it pertains to your faith and the sharing of the gospel to go full send. Friends, we are here today. Why? Because the disciples of Jesus Christ who originally received this mission went full send from the start. And the question today is this, how are we doing at going full send with our faith? Lord, I'm here. Lord, I'm ready. Full throttle, give me the green light because I want to live loved and sent for you. The disciples will full send. The disciples went full throttle. They preached the gospel as Jesus trained them to do. They gathered people into fellowship. They planted churches. They raised up leaders all to the glory of God. And what I want us to catch today, friends, is we don't have a second-rate calling on this. There's not a B-class calling on this. There's not the professional disciples calling and then the rest of the church calling. We are all called to make disciples who live, love, and sent to the glory of God. This is your charge. This is your calling. Yes, you go to work. Yes, you're raising a home. Yes, you're coming and serving a church. But to what end? God desires to use you. He's calling you now to live fully sent. And so here we must ask the question, how are we doing? And by we, I mean the church at large. How is the church at large doing at sharing the gospel? How are we doing at taking new kingdom ground in our day? Come on, get out. We haven't used these in a while, so get out your meters. I want, I want to see what your opinion is. Um, so you can just kind of hold it here. This is kind of neutral. So like we're talking about a courageous evangelism. So it's um, um, on, on a scale of hide it under a bushel, hide it under a bushel, or I'm going to let it shine. Like how are we doing as, as a church in America today? Hide it under a bushel. I'm going to let it shine, or we are letting it shine. Come on, show me, show me. How are we doing today well, as it pertains to courageous evangelism? Show me, show me, show me. Where are you at? 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 All right, some of y'all are very indecisive. You have no idea what to say, so you're like, I'm moving. I'm not moving from here. That is so, that is so 2022 of you, by the way. 
Here's the deal, friends. Let's let some data speak for itself. Sociologists agree over and over and over again that we are currently living in a post-Christian America. The numbers don't lie. The dissent is aggressive. The church, by way of survey, is on steep decline. And here we have to ask ourselves, why? What is it? What's gone wrong? I mean, God's, Jesus' mission hasn't changed. His promise is no less true today than it was then, that he will build his church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it, which, which by the way, he is building his church. But the question I have is this, what is happening in the United States of America? What is happening here? What is happening in our land? What is happening in our region? What's happening in our state? What's happening in our community? What's happening in our home? What's happening in our church? What is the struggle? Why are we not seeing the kind of faith conversion that has seen all throughout the scriptures? Could it be that we're simply not living sent? Let me frame in a picture of the church in America today for you as it pertains to the gospel and its progress. Pew Research Forum 2019 survey revealed this. 65% of Americans describe themselves as Christians. You're like, whoa, 65%? That's a lot higher than I would have expected. And at first glance, you're, you're tempted to be kind of, kind of encouraged. 69% of people, they, they call themselves or they define themselves as Christians until you realize that over the past decade, that number is down 12% in the last 10 years. Just one decade ago, 77% identified as Christian. Right now, 26% of Americans describe themselves as unreligious. That is up by 9% in the same amount of time in the last decade. These numbers are interesting, by the way, so don't, all, don't be as overwhelmed as you might be tempted to be. 4% of people identify as atheist. 5% as agnostic. Atheists believing there is no God. Agnostics believing if there is a God, we can't know him. But note this number, 17% of Americans now define themselves as nuns, N-O-N-E-S, none, meaning they don't affiliate with any spiritual affiliation at all, nothing in particular, I'm just a nothing, I don't really want to talk about it, I don't want to think about it, when it comes to faith, I'm just none. That number is up by 12% in the last decade. Any correlation to that 12 being up as none and that 12 being down as identifying themselves as Christians? Come on, Gallup. A Gallup poll from March 2021 reveals this. Not only are we not reaching people, we're failing to keep people as well. The church in America is failing to keep keep air quotes, I get it, it's God's work, but just bear with me here on the numbers to keep people as well. Church membership has fallen below a majority in the United States for the first time since they've begun doing polls. 
47% of Americans say that they, they belong to a church of some kind. That's a 20-point drop since the turn of the century. We were at 70% at the turn of the century, friends. Barna, in the state of the church, a poll taken in 2020 says this, of those who say they are members, of those who say they are members of a church, only one in four regard themselves or identify themselves as actually being practicing Christians. A practicing Christian, if someone says, I am a Christian, my faith matters to me, and I go to church at least once a month. One in four. Of those who identify as Christians, according to the Barna poll, those who responded, one in four people actually identify themselves as practicing Christians. They would say this, my faith matters to me and I go to church once a month. Do you see what's in front of us? I know we live in Lancaster County. I know that it's kind of a little mini Bible belt here in the north, but this is the landscape with which we live. On the positive side, Barna's report does reveal this. Those who read their Bibles, that number has not slumped for the past 20 years. Of those who read their Bibles, that number has not slumped. However, it's remained at 35%. Of those who pray, 7 out of 10 people say they pray at least once a week. There's a spiritual sensitivity there. Seven out of 10 people say they pray once a week. There's a spiritual sensitivity there. They don't want to go to your church. But they're trying to talk to your God. Friends, there's, a, there's an opportunity here. The numbers don't lie. The mission before us, it is severe. It is urgent. And when it comes to evangelism, I have good news and bad news. When it comes to us sharing our faith, there's some positive trajectory. And then there's this weird, weird, weird trend that is on the rise. Check this. Of practicing Christians now. Of practicing Christians. Nine out of ten agree that being a witness for Jesus is part of their faith, 96%. Nine out of 10 people say, look, I know it, I know it, I know it, I know it. Sharing my faith is part of my faith. Being a witness is part of my faith. Of that same group of people, eight out of 10, 79% say the best thing that could happen to a person is that they come to know Jesus. Nine out of 10, like I know, I know it's part of my faith to share my faith. And I do believe with all my heart that the best thing that could happen to anyone is that they would come to know Jesus. But now check this, check this trend. 27% of people, one out of four practicing Christians believe it is morally wrong to actually share your faith with the purpose of that other person coming to have the same faith as you in the future. One out of four Christians believe it's wrong to evangelize. And amongst our young adults, that number rises to 47%. One out of two millennials that were polled who claim to be practicing Christians, one out of two believe it's wrong to share your faith with the purpose of that person with whom you're sharing it that they would come to share the same faith 
as you. Let us sink in lots of numbers. It is important to note, though, that the majority of non-Christians claim that they're willing to have spiritual conversations. They're looking for two things, church. The data says this. They're looking for two things. They're looking for somebody who will listen without judgment and somebody who won't push a conclusion. They're looking for someone who will listen to them without judgment and won't force a decision. Come on, church. Like, we can do that. We can listen to people without judgment. We're all sinners. We know that we've been saved by grace and we don't force conclusions. Why? That's God's job. God's the one who makes the decision. I want to force a decision of anybody. I don't want to be the one. I don't want to be the reason why they say yes to God, like I've coerced them. That's the Holy Spirit's job. But I can listen. I can share my faith. I can be a living testimony. I can clearly express the gospel of Jesus Christ. I can hear where they're coming from. And of course, I can present the decision before them. But it's God's job. And indeed, I can. I can indeed. And I will invite them to make a decision. But the coercion and manipulation, yeah, we're back on that. What are the takeaways, friends? What are the takeaways as we start this series? Number one, when it comes to the lack of sharing our faith. Based on these numbers, it doesn't appear that it's a head issue. We know that it's something we ought to do. We know it's part of our faith. We know it's something God calls us to do. Jesus has called us to do it. You know what? It's not even necessarily a heart issue, so to speak. Why? Because we actually believe it's the best thing for a person. We know it's right. We believe it's best. But what? We're just frankly not willing to do it. We're not willing to live fully sent. We simply believe it's wrong. 65% of people believe that people today are more likely to be offended than in the past. And what has happened? The idea of offending somebody has become the greatest offense. The idea of offending has become the greatest offense. The second major takeaway is this. With church attendance declining, there are many people who are more likely to receive the gospel from you than from me. You're sent. You're sent. You're sent. You are the light of the world. You are the city that can't be hidden. You, friends, God has called you. God has called me. Come on, bring the tired, the weary. Come on, bring, bring, invite people to be near the gospel. But you are called to be the light of the gospel yourself. Bring them to church for sure. We're going to preach the gospel like mad. But what brings them to that point? You living and being a living, adorning gospel witness in this world. What is it? It is living sent. You see, when Jesus delivered the Great Commission in Matthew 28, when he said, go ye therefore into all the world, when he said, make disciples of all the nations, he intended for that mission to go everywhere. 
And he knew it would reach you. And he knew it would reach me. Which means the mission itself, the commission itself, extends to you. Go make disciples. Teach them to observe all that I commanded, all that I commanded, all that I commanded. Is the Great Commission a command? Say yes. Is the Great Commission a command? Say yes. That's one of the commands that we pass down. And so the Great Commission is your commission. The Great Commission is your charge. The making of disciples is your ministry. When Jesus said, teach them to observe all that I commanded, what does it imply? It means that Jesus taught and trained his disciples. Jesus taught and trained his disciples. He taught, he called them, he taught them, and he trained them. When it says teach them to observe, what is implied as well? The implication is this, that which I taught you, that which, that which I trained you in, you are to pass that on to every disciple who will ever live. You pass it on to this generation, who passes it on to the next generation, who passes it on to the next generation. We've had a steep decline in the church. Why? Because we are not passing on the principle or the practice of being courageously bold and living sent and sharing our faith. And so here we go. Teach them to observe all that I commanded. If only we had a spot to go and to find that training. Anyone, anyone, anyone know where we can find Jesus' teaching? Anyone know where we can find Jesus' training? Anyone know specifically a spot that we could go? Uh, just say the gospels for me. Say, say the gospels. gospels. The gospels. Here's what I need you to know about the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The Gospels were among some of the latest books of the Bible written. Written by disciples of Jesus. Written by followers of Jesus. To the established church. We sometimes read the Gospels like, oh, this happened before, and this is what happened before the church. And indeed it is. It's recounting all that Jesus did prior to the cross, right? Up to the cross. But the actual delivering of these Gospels, the men who wrote them, inspired by the Holy Spirit, delivered these Gospels to the churches. Why? So they could know what Jesus taught. So they could hear with their own ears and read with their own eyes what Jesus and how Jesus trained his actual disciples to go about the work of ministry. So we can come to the Gospels and we can actually use them as a means of teaching, of course, but also of training. This is what God calls us to principally do. And so what we're going to do, we're going to zero in on Luke chapter 9. Turn your Bibles, if you will, to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, for the next six weeks, we are studying, we are journeying through, we're getting a first-hand account, like on the ground, dropping in on Jesus's actual sending, training, and sending of his 12. Here's where we're headed. Jesus is practically training his disciples on doing the work of mission and ministry. This week, what are we going to see? That we're sent to serve Christ. God's given you everything you need to share the gospel, verses one and two. Where are we going next? Next week, Pastor Ed, we're sent to seek the called. God has given us a strategy for sharing our faith. 
practical, friends. God's given us a strategy for sharing our faith. He's given us principles to follow. We'll stay faithful and focused, and God will do the work. Seek Christ. Seek the called. God has called you to share the gospel with those whom he's calling to himself. Week three, Pastor Nate Newell will come, and he will share with us, and he will compel us that we are sent to show the curious, to show the curious. God's given us all we need. He's given us a strategy, but God's also given us answers. We need not be intimidated. When you begin to share the gospel, when you begin to live the gospel, people are going to have questions. Indeed, in chapter 9, Herod has some questions. God has some answers. People in your life have questions. Are you afraid? That's like the number one fear, I believe, of Christians, right? What if they ask a question that I can't answer? Check this. Try this. I don't know. Like, what are you afraid of? I, I'm not sure about that. That's a great question. Let me get back to you. And then get back to them. You don't know everything about everything, but you know Jesus, right? Your life's been changed by Jesus, right? Act like you've been loved, act like you love Jesus. Act like you've been changed by Jesus. Act like you still have room to grow. That's actually very compelling to a world that we as Christians don't know it all. Evangelism tip number one, I don't know, but I will find out. Been sent to serve Christ. We're sent to seek the called. We're sent to show the curious. Week number four, we're sent to serve the crowds. Jesus will draw men and women to themselves. The feeding of the 5,000 is in this text. What a great training. What a great training opportunity this was for Jesus amongst his disciples. How he, how he witnessed and he ministered to both the soul and the body of those who followed after him. And indeed, as the crowds gather, what are we going to see the very next week? We're going to have to take a stand for Christ. There comes a point where you just take the stand. You take the stand. How do we take a stand? How do we graciously, boldly stand for the gospel? When is it merited? How does it work? Practical, friends. January. We're sent. Finally, the goal. The goal. The goal. The beginning of the chapter, Herod asked the question, who is this Christ? It's answered all throughout the passage. The disciples are trained to deliver the answer. And then the climax comes in the transfiguration in verse 28. What's the goal? That more people would receive the grace of God and see and experience the glory of our risen Lord. He's given us a goal. Seek the call. He's given us a strategy. Show the curious. He's given us answers. Serve the crowd. God's given us opportunities. Stand for Christ. God's given you a testimony. Sent to show Christ. God's given us a goal. And so now we kick it off with the first two verses of Luke chapter 9. Let's go. Luke chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. And he called the 12. And so now Jesus called the 12 together and he gave them power. And he gave them authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. Jesus, Jesus gave his disciples. He called his disciples. And he gives them everything they absolutely need to go as sent servants of him. And the same is absolutely true for you today. You see, Jesus equips the called, point one. And Jesus empowers the sent, those who go. Jesus equips the called. Look at the verse. 
And Jesus called the 12 together. Jesus called the 12 together. Jesus called the 12 together. Why? Because he'd been calling them together. Time after time, journey after journey, day after day, he calls the 12 together. For what purpose? To equip them. You want to be equipped? Get near Jesus. You want to be more bold in sharing your faith? Sit under the teaching of Jesus. Get in the word of Jesus. Pray to Jesus, as we've already shared this morning. You see, what's the context of Luke chapter 9? There's no text without context. Up until this point, the 12 have been essentially just kind of like walking along with Jesus. They've been apprenticing with Jesus. And they've seen Jesus do some pretty extraordinary things. They've all been called out by Jesus at separate times, but just a couple chapters before, chapter 6, all 12, Jesus goes up to the mountainside, and out of all the disciples who began to follow him, Jesus comes down out of the mountainside having prayed, and he appoints these 12 men. Luke chapter 6, verse 2. In those days, he, Jesus, went out to the mountain to pray. And all night he continued to pray to God. And when the day came, he called his disciples and chose them, chose from them 12, whom he named apostles. Come on, this is good. You got to have this. Simon, who's named Peter, Andrew, his brother, James, and John, Philip, Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, right? The son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who was called the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. And since this moment of being, being appointed, if you will, they've already been called, but now they've been appointed to do this specific work. They've seen some pretty extraordinary things, some things that you have just studied recently if you've been a part of Mission Church. They would have sat under the Sermon on the Mount. They would have watched Jesus do healing after healing after healing. They would have observed his ministry all throughout the region of Galilee. They would have heard him preach. They would have marveled at his healing power and they would have listened closely just before this text, just before they would have listened very closely to him sharing these kingdom parables. Behold, the kingdom of God is at hand. You see, the kingdom of God is like, the kingdom of God is like, how awesome are these parables, by the way? Here you have the king cloaked in flesh Sharing parable stories cloaked for those who need to hear. And so they would have heard the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' manifesto. They would have heard about the kingdom of God, him opening their eyes to that which is coming. And now all of a sudden, tension and political tension is starting to mount. And Jesus says, come here. Come here. I have last one last equipping for you before we head down to Jerusalem. And you all know what's happening down in Jerusalem, right? his final journey to Jerusalem is coming next. So this is his last stint in Galilee. This is his last opportunity to reach his homeland. And so what does he do? He sends out the 12. Jesus calls his disciples together for the purpose of equipping. He equips the called. He calls us together. Why? He calls us to moments like this. Why? So his Holy Spirit can equip you and me. I believe here Jesus is modeling the priority of life-on-life -life discipleship. 
Ministry equipping is largely a matter of learning and living, of learning and living. You want to live sent? Learn and then live. Learn some things, put them into practice. Learn and live. You want to grow in your ability to share the gospel? You want to be sent to serve Jesus better? Come on. This is a matter of what? Some would say this. Living sent is more caught than taught. Your best tutoring is just to do it. Try it. Jesus is revealing a simple pattern here that the apostles used and that we carry on to this day. You watch me. Now you do as I watch you. You watch me. Now you do as I watch you. This is it. If you want to live sent, find someone. Pro tip. You want to get better at sharing the gospel? You want to get better at living sent? Find somebody who's passionately living sent and hang out with them. Like there is no greater means of training than being around a mature Christian who loves Jesus and lives sent. I'm in ministry today doing what I do day in and day out. Why? Because I had youth group leaders who hung out with me. Like they picked me up. They prayed with me. They read their Bible with me. They challenged me. We had prayer requests. They asked me what friends that I needed, that I, that I needed to share Jesus and share Jesus with. And then they, then they held me accountable to actually doing it. Everything I need to know about ministry, I believe I learned in youth group. You can go to seminary, you can go to all the adult education classes you want, but it still comes down to this. You know it's right, you believe it's best, but you're not willing to move our feet and actually do it. That's the bottom line. And if you want to become bold, surround yourself with bold people. Find somebody who loves Jesus and is bold about Jesus. And just hang out with them. Listen to what they say. Watch how they conduct themselves. I'm in ministry today. Why? I made my desire to be in ministry known and my senior pastor reached out to me and he let me hang out with him. I'm a 15 and 16 year old kid riding in that big old Lincoln town car. Going to hospital visitations. Just watching him as he served communion to those who couldn't get out of their homes. I sat over lunch meetings when he shared the gospel with people. I'm in ministry today. Why? Because Pastor Ken Peebles hung out with me. Come on, small group leaders, live it. Come on, small group members, share it. Celebrate week after week after week after week. God opened a door. God opened a door. I didn't know how God was going to do it. I was scared to death. I wasn't quite sure how I even answered the question, but God opened the door. Oh, my word. Can you believe they're coming to church? Oh, wow. Did you see the topic this week? My, oh, I'm scared to death. Pastor's going to blow them away. Come on, just breathe. Watch what God will do when you simply take a step of faith. 
love people, love people. Loved people will love people. When you experience the love of God, you can't help but share the love of God with people around you. And it's noticed. I love my wife. And so I'm such a, like I talk about my wife, I'm such a dork. I gotta be, like, I, I'm sure I annoy my guy friends. Like it's just annoying. I love my kids, right? That's why they're like, they're, they're like the center of so many of my illustrations. Because you want to talk about people you love. And you know what else you do? When you love people, one of my favorite things to do is introduce two people that I love to one another. And one of the ways you get better at sharing your faith is listen. Listen to members of your small group. Listen to people in your faith community. Listen to people in the church. Listen to those who are asking for prayer about these kinds of things. And then just hang out with them and listen to how they talk. Listen to how they pray. Ask them about their spiritual habits. Look at how they treat people. Ask yourself, if I haven't had the opportunity to share the love of Jesus recently, how loved do I feel? And when's the last time I was truly able to simply express the love of Jesus to somebody else? Jesus has given us everything we need to live sent. He's called you together. He's equipped you. He's placed you in a faith community where you can grow and learn, friends. Come on. Here's the thing, though. When you hang out with these kind of people, you're probably going to feel like you can't do it. You could never do that. I can never be Ken Peoples. Are you kidding me? I can never stand up front and preach. That's crazy. I can never be that bold. I can never have those kind of answers. I could never, I could never, I could never. The truth is, you won't do it just like they do it. Chances are you will get stumped. Chances are you will be put on the spot. Chances are it will be hard. Chances are you will not be able to do it the way they did. If you feel that way, stop and think about this. You think the disciples of Jesus may have felt that way in this moment? They just walk with Jesus. Tutored under Jesus. Or trained by Jesus. Listened to Jesus preach. Watched Jesus heal. You think there wasn't a moment of trepidation in the 12th century? Like, like, wait, wait, wait. You gathered us together. Why this time? Because I've been doing really good on the follow along, right? I've been doing really good when your hand was like, you had your own brake pedal over there too. I was doing really good with the training wheels. But now all of a sudden, like you're saying, I watch you. Now it's my turn. Now we do. Are you kidding me? Friends, if you feel overwhelmed that you can't do it, you are exactly where God wants you. This is where your faith lights up. You see, God not only equips the called, he also empowers the sent. Check out the text. Jesus equips the called, but he also empowers the sent. He's going to give you power. And he called the 12 together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and heal. Okay, Jesus, what do you want us to do? Here we are. What, what, what are we going to watch you do today? There ain't no watching today, boys. It is time for you to go. What are we going to go do, Jesus? I want you to heal and preach. What? And some of y'all are sitting like, oh boy, here we go. We got a demon and a healing text in front of us. Go, pastor, go. 
He gave them power and authority to do what? To do what they've seen him do. To do what he's trained them to do. To go and be an extension of his hands, feet, and ministry. Come on, friends. This text is awesome. Bunch of rag-tag teenage boys. Young men at best. You feeling overwhelmed? You feel like you can't get this done? You feel like, you feel like what, what am I going to do? Think about this. You got a bunch of dirty fishermen, a crooked tax collector, a political zealot, and a guy who ultimately is going to be proven to be a thief. And they're like, he's like, go. You go do what I do. Heal. Cast out demons. And preach with power and authority. Like this isn't friendship evangelism. I'm not mocking that. I'm just saying that's not what this is. He's not like, hey, go, go and be nice to people. Make sure you smile at the grocery store. Those things are very important, by the way. I am not in any way demeaning those things. We ought to be doing all of those things. What I'm trying to show you, though, is this. Teenage Like blue collar, my people. Calloused hands. Pull up the nets. Work the soil. Yesterday I was collecting tax dollar people. He's like, you are going to be an extension of me. I am going to use you. You are going to make disciples. You are the men who are going to turn this world upside down. Are you kidding me? These kids are a bunch of fools. That's the point. You want to get good at evangelism? Be willing to be a fool. It's time to be a fool. Throw dignity to the side and trust Jesus. We are so concerned about what people think about us. You're loved. You're loved. Your security is found here. You're loved. What does the Lord think of you? First Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26 says this. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. True. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish to shame the world. Foolish in the world to shame the wise, pardon me. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that what? So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. It is in your weakness that you're made strong. It is in your deficiencies that God's glory shines through. It's through the cracks of your pot that his glory is revealed. This is the point. Power in sharing your faith is found in being willing to admit this. Join with the apostle Paul and say this. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 10. We are fools for Christ's sake. We are fools. We are fools for Christ's sake, but we are wise in him though too. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor but we in disrepute. If you feel like you're in over your head, it's a good place to be. 
Every role I've been called to fill, I've been in over my head. I feel in over my head right now. When we are weak, he is strong. When we are weak, he is strong. And believe it or not, friends, come on, maybe this will encourage somebody in the room, like, sometimes I feel more empowered to do this from here than I do having that individual conversation with somebody about the gospel. Anybody ever been there? But God wants to work just as powerfully through you on the one-on-one conversations as I trust he does as we proclaim God's work week after, word week after week. Come on, you gotta feel this. You gotta experience the power of God working in you as he uses you to express the truth, to change the trajectory of a soul. Oh my word, friends, this is the deal right here. Power and authority. The Lord is offering power and authority, the ability. Power is this, check this. Power is the ability to accomplish a task. Power is the ability to accomplish a task. If God has given you power, he's giving you the ability to accomplish a task. Authority on the other hand, hand, what's the difference? Power is the ability. Authority is the jurisdiction. Power is the authority to do it. You're able to do it. I'm sorry, power is the ability to do it. Authority, on the other hand, is you have the jurisdiction. Matthew 28, Jesus said what? All authority, all authority, all authority has been given to me. Acts chapter 1-8 says what? You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And in this particular passage, Jesus is in the heart of his earthly ministry. He is validating the work of the gospel through miracles and casting out demons. He's expressing his power over, over, the, over the region of darkness, if you will. And he's healing as a means of substantiation to the message of the gospel. You'll see all throughout this text that he's leading with the gospel and the miracles come post hence. But in this particular passage, let's not shirk it. What is he calling his disciples to do? He's given them the power and the authority to heal and to preach. He's calling them in this context, in this context, hear me, in this context to be an immediate extension of his earthly ministry. He's calling them to care for people's souls and bodies. Bodies and souls. You're going to see it all throughout the text. We care about people's practical needs. We care about their physical needs. Why? Because they're created in the image of God. We want to see their souls saved. We also want them to experience life to the full on this side of heaven. Redeemed, secure, and significant in the love of God. That they too would see their purpose and who Jesus has called them to be. And here's the amazing thing, friends. Are you ready? This power and authority has been extended to us. This power and this authority has been extended to us. Now, while we aren't each called to heal and cast out demons, right? While we aren't each called to heal and cast out demons, You're going to see as we study this passage, this was a unique trip. This was a unique circumstance. This was a ministry training for them, but the principles here are real unto us. What is abundantly clear in the Great Commission is this. 
while we don't each heal and cast out demons, what we do see in the text as it unfolds is this. All authority has been given to me, Jesus said, to do what? Go ye therefore into all the world and preach the gospel. This power and authority is all channeled in you and me by the Holy Spirit that we could do what? Preach and live the gospel of Jesus with everyone to whom he brings our way. You catch it? This power, this authority is yours in Christ Jesus that you might preach, live, and share the gospel of Jesus. All authority has been given to me, so now it is yours. You will receive power on high when the Holy Spirit resides within you. Here's what I want you to catch. Power. Authority. Power. Authority. Power and authority to preach the gospel. Authority. Jurisdiction. There'll never be a place that you will go that you don't have the spiritual authority to share the gospel. All authority has been given unto me in heaven and on earth. Go share the gospel. There's no place where you do not have spiritual jurisdiction to share the gospel. There's no place where you haven't been granted the authority to share your faith, to live your faith. Think about that. There's no place that you don't have jurisdiction. Live your faith, share your faith, be respectful in the way that you do it, but all authority has been given to me on heaven and on earth. Go ye therefore into all the world, all the world, everywhere, and you share this gospel. Yeah, but what about the consequences? Whether it is right or wrong for me to share the gospel, that is for you to decide, but I must obey Jesus over men. Sound familiar? There's no place that he hasn't given you jurisdiction. Now this, power. There is no person with whom you will meet that he will not empower you to to share the truth with. And we need to test the Lord in this. Test and see. Try it and feel and know that the Holy Spirit's work and presence will be felt. You have power. The Holy Spirit resides within you. You have authority. He will give you credentials, if you will. Every place your foot steps is an opportunity to advance the border of the kingdom of God. Everyone with whom you speak is an opportunity to see the power of God expressed. And so here's the challenge. Six weeks. We've done our tune-up, we've done our overview. We gave you a little lay of the land of how things are going within the church of the Lord Jesus Christ today. Taking a first glance at the text that we're going to be journeying in. We're going to take training from Jesus Christ himself for the next six weeks. Challenge is this. Pray for gospel opportunities. Pray and see what God does. Pray for gospel opportunities. Put yourself then in gospel situations. Love, loved, People love people. Love people on purpose. Do the difficult thing. Turn the other cheek. Instead of running the person down who cuts you off bumper to bumper, you're like, yo, bless their day. Start small. 
loved people are going to love people. Live love. Remember this. Those who, those who feel loved are going to want to live loved. And those who you love, there'll be those who don't like that. But you're going to see in the text that there'll be those who want to get to know more. They want to know why you're different. They want to know what's up with you. When you love people, they're going to want to get to know you. And when they get to know you, what? You're going to get to know them. And what happens when you get to know people? You hear about their interests. You hear about what they love. You hear about what they're excited about. If you're excited about Jesus, you can't help yourself. If you're excited about spiritual things, you can't help yourself. You don't have to be obnoxious about this. It's just normal. Like it's, I talk about, this is what I do. You like a certain sports team, so you talk about your sports team. People don't think you're weird for that. Like, just try this. Give Jesus credit where it's due and watch how often you find yourself in spiritual conversations. Do you know that in the past year, based on a survey, nearly 50% of Christians have had two spiritual conversations or less. In the past year, I'm talking spiritual conversations with an unbeliever. Two just faith spiritual conversations in the last year. Presumably a larger number of them have probably had none. Pray for gospel opportunities. Put yourself in gospel situations. Ask the Lord who it is he desires for you to reach. Keep your eyes open. Keep margin in your schedule. Let people come to you. Welcome people with hospitality. These, these are the initial principles of our sharing faith. And don't be afraid to invite people to church. Invite them around gospel things. You'd be surprised the conversations that follow after that. If they are interested in you, they're interested in the things that you're interested in, bring them here. You know, there were two statistics in my research that encouraged me. One was this, the majority, here's the first one, the majority, the majority of non-Christians are willing to have respectful spiritual conversations. The majority of non-Christians are willing to have respectful spiritual conversations. And here's the second thing that encouraged me. Of those who had at least one conversation, about half came away more confident and eager to talk with others. You just got to have the conversation. Pop the bubble. Do it. Nine out of 10 felt more confident in their own faith. And seven out of 10 who just had the conversation were eager to share their faith again. Friends, we can do this. God has given us the power and he has given us the authority. We can do this. We've just got to have the conversation. Many of you know that I used to pour concrete got through high school and was able to get through college by doing concrete work in the summer. And of course, what did that do? That put, me in an that put me in a situation where I had lots of opportunities to be around some pretty rough individuals. I got a life education working concrete in the summertime. I heard some things I probably didn't need to hear. And every summer, it would start out by them kind of harassing the teenager, right? 
giving me the grunt work, sending me here and there, making sure I labored well as a laborer. Right? And then over the course of the summer, what? Like, what's your deal? Who are you? Eventually the walls would come down and we would get to know one another. And as they got to know me, they would ask about me. And as I got to know them, I would ask about them. And of course, it's really odd for um, a teenager to be like, what are you going to do after this? Because they would always give me this piece of advice. Don't do this forever. They would usually usually say something like this. Don't be me. You're loved, right? What did they just do in that moment? Don't be me. That door was kicked so wide open. You mean don't be you? You're cool. I like coming to work with you. Yeah, but what's your deal? It's really odd to work with a teenage kid who wants to be a pastor, you know what I mean? What is your deal? Like, what is your deal? What is your deal? And as they ask what your deal is, you simply say, here's the deal. God's changed my life. I was heading one way. Jesus moved me this way. And I, I, I want to share the gospel of Jesus with people who want to hear it. That, like, that's what I'm about. That's what I get to do. I, get to, I just want to spend my life doing this. Have you heard about this, Jesus? What do you want to know? And here's the At the end of each summer, each summer, I saw at least one of those ragtag, burly, cursed you out guys come to know Jesus each and every summer. Just by what? He didn't go in day one. He'd be like, hey, repent, you sinner. Loved people. Love people. And the moment you meet him, you're like, I have jurisdiction here. You haven't even granted me passport into your life yet, but I'm telling you what, it's coming. Spirit of God has power here. I'm just waiting for the open door. I'm going to work hard. I'm going to love you. I'm going to take every opportunity I can. You ask me what my deal is, I'm going to tell you, and I'm going to wait. And the moment God gives me a chance, I'm going to share with you what it is that has changed my life because it can change yours too. I went home over Thanksgiving break. Let me say this. You'll never regret living sent. You'll never regret sharing the gospel. You'll never regret being a fool. When the outcome is the assurance of eternity in somebody you've grown to love. As I was home over Thanksgiving break, I learned that one of the guys who the Lord gave jurisdiction and power to see come to know him is now suffering with terminal cancer. His days are numbered. Hospice has been called. He lived a rough life. But I know that I know that I know that Jesus rescued his soul. I was there. I saw. I heard. I learned. Friends, you can do this. Power. Authority. It's yours in Christ Jesus, but you got to go. You're loved. You've been sent. And when you don't care about your own stuff and you know it's for the glory of God, you are empowered in incredible ways.
And so, Father, we come to you now asking for you to make this real in our lives. Father, beyond a message, beyond a training, beyond an instruction, God, we desire with all of our hearts. Beyond proposition, God, we want to experience power. Beyond checking the box, Lord God, we want to see your authority take new ground in the heart of people you place in our lives. It can be done. It will be done. You promise to build your church, but the way that you do it, God, is by empowering your people to live sent. May we get serious about this over this month, God. May 2022 be a year of harvest for your glory. May this be a season where we see people far from you come to know you. God, you have called us to reach people you're calling to yourselves. May we, Lord God, beat back the trend of statistics. Numbers matter merely because they represent people. And so God, may each one, may each person you put in our lives see a difference in each and every one of us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand?